Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. If you got your Bibles, please grab them. Go to Acts chapter 20. Uh, I said last week that we were going to be kind of spending two weeks uh, in this book. If you want to find Acts chapter 20, we'll be roughly around verses 28 through 32. Uh, and then when you get a chance, you might want to put your finger or your bookmark over uh, in the book of Ephesians. I'm probably going to be jumping over there as well. Both of those places, uh, Acts 20 and uh, the book of Ephesians, were in your Bible reading plan uh, over the last week or two. Um, let me just read this, and then we'll get into it. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Pray with me one more time. God, help this morning. Help us. Open the eyes of our heart that we can see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. My truck is 16 years old. It is on its second engine. It has close to 250,000 miles. It has a lot of rust, but I like it, it's okay. However, um, whenever uh, Paul Norker, I don't know if Paul's down here this morning, I don't know if, he, or if he's teaching kids, but uh, whenever, the last several times Paul Norker has gone on vacation, or if he, like, a couple, last year he went to Guatemala, last couple years I think he went to Guatemala with a team, or when he goes on vacation, I don't know if he just feels bad for me because my truck is so ugly uh, and doesn't get good gas mileage, uh, but he, le he leaves me his car to drive. I never asked for this, but he, he leaves me his car to drive, and it's a brand new Subaru Outback or something like that, all-wheel drive, very nice, very zippy, fast. I mean, not that I tested out or anything, but um, sorry, that was an awkward confession I just made there. Maybe it's good Paul's not in here. Uh, no, but it, but it gets great gas mileage. It's awesome. I, I love, uh, it's like, I, man, I can't believe I can go literally like for almost like two weeks without filling up. Like it's it's crazy, and then I get a little bit depressed about how bad of gas mileage my truck does get. Anyway, but, but it always, it, it makes me a little nervous. You know, we live out at Buckhorn, and we literally sometimes, depending on the week, depending on what we're doing, we will see more deer than people out there. And so whenever he leaves it to me, I'm always like a little bit nervous, you know, because I don't want to hit, I don't want to hit a deer. Um, and my boys, you know, usually I don't care, you know, what they're wearing or if they've got mud on their boots or whatever when they jump when they jump in my truck, but when they get in Paul's car, I'm like, keep your feet down off the seat, you know, and uh, did that sound too realistic? Was that, was that, that's probably the exact tone and everything with which I say it anyway, um, but you know, I'm always just trying to make sure that they keep this thing just, just nice because it's, it's not mine, and 
the simple point being is that there's a, um, there's a weight to taking care of something that is not ours. And, and many times, the way that we treat something reveals um, whose we think it is or whose it, it, it belongs to. And so if it's mine, if it's just my old truck, I'm like, eh, you know, kind of whatever, it's kind of beat up. But, um, but when it's someone else's, like, you really, you really want to take care of it. You want to treat it with respect. You don't want anything to happen to it. You want to steward it well. And last week we talked about, again, this passage, I would argue it's one of the mountaintops of Scripture, and one of the big ideas is that Paul is running his course, verse 24, he says, I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. And, and I argued last week that Paul, like in order to run his course, he, he held the gospel message in the highest regard. Um, and you know, the, the message of grace was greater than personal freedom, greater than personal safety, greater than even personal relationships. But what we're gonna see this morning is that not only did Paul hold the, the message of the gospel in this way, but he held the, the value of the church in this way. And going back to the little story I just told about Paul let me borrow his car, well, I, I believe kind of the point of the text this morning that I want to show you is, that, is that, that Paul would say that the way that you kind of treat the church, or maybe change the language slightly, like your attitude towards the church and whether or not you treat it with care reveals whether or not you think it belongs to you or whether it belongs to God. And there's just kind of two primary points in this passage this morning, and that is one is that the church belongs to God. It belongs to God and it was, it was purchased by him at a great price. And then secondly, Paul's second argument is simply, um, if that's true, then this is the way that we need to treat it. This is the way we need to we need to care for it. And again, let me just say at the beginning, like when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about an organization, I'm not talking about a 501c3 uh, organization, I'm not just talking about a name, I'm not talking about a logo, I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about a group of people. There's the universal church and then there is the local church. Paul here is speaking to a group of elders within a local church in the city of Ephesus. And both are true. We treat the church, all those who have believed in Christ and have been placed by his Holy Spirit into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation, uh, as 1 Corinthians 12 teaches. But there's also the, the local church. And, and I would just say that, that maybe, not maybe, but really, for sure, especially the time and place in which we live, um, our understanding of what the church is and its value and who it ultimately belongs to um, it's just, it's just really wonky and warped. Um, this is the formal term for this. It would be ecclesiology, okay? So within the study of theology, you have you know, studies of different aspects of, of the truth, and you have pneumatology, God's spirit, soteriology regarding salvation. But ecclesiology is kind of the theology of the church. And I would say that most of us have grown up in a culture, maybe it hasn't been something that's that's specifically been taught to us, but it's more something that, that we've caught, not something that's been taught, but something that's caught, is that the church is about us. In fact, I've, I've seen, and I'm not making this up, but not far from here, I've seen a billboard that says, 
literally said, life is hard, we make church easy. And I've seen multiple, multiple church websites that say right on the front, we've designed everything about around you. And while God cares for us and he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins and, and not just forgiveness of sins but so much more and be placed into his body, I think that many of us have grown up thinking that we can treat the church kind of like we treat my truck. Well, it's mine anyway, so I can just do with it what I want. And I really want to kind of wrestle with you this morning on that. And again, maybe you haven't thought about it, uh, and I don't, I don't really blame you. I don't blame myself because I've had this attitude in the past. But when we look at God's word and, and we look at what he says about the church, is that it is God's primary agenda, purpose, in all of creation, in all of world history, to glorify his name. And he does that in a bazillion different ways, many of which we will not fully see until we get to eternity. But one of the things that's clear from the scriptures is that I would argue that the primary way that he wants to exalt his name, that he wants to make much of himself, that he wants to reveal his glory is through the church, is through his bride, his body, his family that was purchased with his own blood. And uh, yeah, that's what I want to say <laughs> to you this morning. Let me show you from the text where I'm getting this. Verse 28 Paul says, pay careful attention. He's speaking to these elders now. They're on the shores of a town called Miletus, which is about 20 to 30 miles south of the city of Ephesus, where these guys were, were leading the church at Ephesus at. Paul had seen great revival there, had spent three years there teaching every day, as we read later on in this passage, and, and, and we'll get to. He's in a hurry at this point in time in the book of Acts to get to Jerusalem before Passover, and so he sends a messenger up to the city of Ephesus, tells the elders to come down. They're, it's a beautiful scene. They're meeting on a beach. Paul has just told them, and we looked at this last week, that he's never going to see their faces again. Even though he spent three years with them, spent much time with them, saw God do amazing things. You know, it's one of those things, it's like, man, when you, when, when you have a shared experience with somebody, like when, when, and, and you have a continued shared experience with them, uh, it's like, man, it just knits your hearts together with them in a way that maybe your heart isn't knit together with people that you haven't experienced the same things with. And so these people are very dear to Paul because they have all together experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that, uh, again, I would pray that God would do even still in our day. And he's speaking to them here for the very last time. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas. You're going to see all three persons of the Trinity here. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, then he says, the church of God. So you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got God the Father. Then it says, which he obtained with his own blood. In the Greek, it's more literally, which he obtained with the blood of his own. The blood of his own son. Jesus Christ came and with his blood, he purchased a people for God, of which you and I belong if we have believed in Jesus. But again, hear me, I've touched on this before, is that like, 
Your salvation, man, it, you, you, man and I mentioned a little bit ago, like it's forgiveness of sins, that's awesome. Forgiveness of sins is amazing. That you, an individual guilty sinner, can stand before an almighty holy God whose holiness would consume you, kill you, and you deserve to be punished forever in hell. Like his, the blood of Christ cleanses you. You can be forgiven. But your salvation is much more than just your individual forgiveness. I'm not meaning to minimize it at all. I'm just saying that there's more than that to it. And if we have a a, a truncated kind of narrow reductionistic gospel, then we're going to live truncated reductionistic Christian lives. And and what I want you to see here is that when, when Christ came and he died for you, yes, forgiveness of sins is part of it, but he placed you into a body of Christ and we are now collectively somehow together, his people. We are his bride, we are his body, we are his family. And we were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. And to be placed into the body of Christ is completely supernatural. This is what, if you've been doing the Bible reading plan, again, just reading one chapter a day, five days a week through the New Testament here this year, and I'm kind of trying to preach on some of those passages week to week. If you've been reading the book of Ephesians, this is what the book of Ephesians is all about. Is is the unbelievable supernatural reality to which God has called us into. Now, now here, you, you might not have woken up this morning and felt like you're part of the bride. You might not have woken up this morning and felt like you're a part of the body. You might not have woken up this morning and come here and felt like you were a part of the family. But if you believed in Christ, you are. That's why the Bible says that we're to live by faith and not just by what we feel. And our faith is not in our feelings. Our faith is in the truth and the reality of what the Word of God says about us. And what the Bible says is that when Jesus Christ died on that cross and they stuck a spear into his side and blood and water flowed, flowed out, God was creating from his Son, who he gave to rule the world, he was creating a bride. Just like in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and he creates Adam and he puts Adam to sleep and he takes from Adam a rib and from that rib he forms Eve. In the same way as Christ fell asleep, the second Adam. And they plunged that spear into his side. This time the church not formed from just a rib but from the blood, from the water. That we are washed, that we are cleansed, that we are forgiven, that we are made holy, and we are his people, we are his bride, and we belong to him. And as certainly, as absolutely sure as it was that when God put Adam to sleep and took that rib from his side, that he was going to make Eve so certainly when Christ was put on that cross. And he died, and he was, again, you guys know the story, he was hanging there and they wanted to get him down off because the Passover or the Sabbath was coming and they plunged that spear into his side and the blood and water poured forth. So certainly God intended to create a bride for himself from the body of the second Adam. We, we belong to him, folks. We belong to him. Are you with me? We belong to him. And so Paul, again, verse 28 is, is important. It's, there's a lot in there. In the middle of verse 28 where he says, 
of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, he he says, to care for. It's literally the word shepherd, but it's in a verb form. To, To shepherd. To shepherd. To shepherd. It's an action word, not just that you are a shepherd, it can be a noun, but it's a verb, to shepherd. What do shepherds do? They take care of sheep, and part of taking care of the sheep is making sure that the sheep don't get eaten, that they don't die, mainly by wolves. And so verse 29 Paul says this, he says, I know that after my departure, not just wolves, but fierce wolves, once you see this, will come in among you, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then, because Paul was the king of creating awkward moments, verse 30, he says, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So you get what he's saying. He's speaking to a group of elders, don't know how many. Many people think that Timothy was probably in this group <clears throat> as one who was left to kind of take care of the church in Ephesus while Paul continued to go on and travel and preach the, gospels and, and, uh, the gospel and plant churches. But there's a decent-sized group of them, and Paul's saying, watch out, guys. Fierce wolves, you're shepherds. Shepherd the flock of God. Fierce wolves are going to come in among you but they're even going to arise from among your own number. So again, Paul, can you imagine these guys? Like Paul's looking them in the eye. He's saying, watch out. Wolves are gonna come in. They're gonna come in from the outside, and they're even gonna come in from the inside, from among your own, your own selves. And I, I wanna... Uh, again, you, you might be thinking right now that because Paul's talking to elders that, you're thinking, well, Eric, I'm, I'm not an elder, so I don't know why you're getting you know, so zealous about this and telling me this, like I'm not an elder, it doesn't apply to me. I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. The same thing applies for you. Paul touches on that in the book of Ephesians, and we'll get, we'll get, there, we'll get there shortly. But, <clears throat> but I just want to say a word here to men. And um, this applies to both men and women, again, as we'll see in the book of Ephesians, but, but especially to men. Man, God has created you. He's created us to fight. Do you know that? He's created us to fight and to protect and to defend now, he calls us to do that in, in, a, in a variety of different ways, but one of the things that I would like to press with you for just a second is that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and especially if you're a man, I'm not trying to put women to the side, but I'm just, especially if you're a man, God has called you to fight. Do you know that? He's called you to fight. In the Bible, the devil, in the book of Revelation, repeatedly is described as a dragon. We're told in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, to the teachings of demons. So behind false teaching, there's demonic influence. Here in this passage in Acts, Paul says that he, he, the, the picture he's painting is he's telling these guys, guys, you're going to have to fight off wolves. 
Men, we're called to fight a battle against an army of wolves and demons that are ultimately led by a dragon. That's what he's called us to do. And, and I just want to say to you that, like, d- don't spend your time just fighting lesser battles. So many men spend their time, like, like we're, you're looking for some sort of challenge. And I'm not against, you know, maybe the challenge is in, is in business. Maybe it's in a sport. Maybe it's in getting, I don't know, physically fit or trying to lose weight. And so you're, you're looking for these, for these battles. And that's, and that's great and that's fine. But what I want to appeal to you for this morning is that you would take up and engage in the most important battle that you could ever possibly engage in, which is defending the church of Jesus Christ, which is picking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and learning how to pray effectively, learning how to defend your faith effectively, learning how to share the gospel effectively, learning how to make disciples effectively. Because, fellas, I've seen, man, I, many of you are great leaders, and you're effective in many, other, in many other areas. But when it comes to the church, as I've said before sometimes, it just seems like it's kind of a little side hustle. It seems like it's just a little hobby that you'll fit into your schedule when it's convenient for you. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a preacher. I just, you know, I want everybody to get involved, although that's true, and I don't, don't apologize for that. I'm saying, guys, there's a battle that we're in, and we need all hands on deck. There's wolves, and there's demons, and there's a dragon, and they want to destroy people, and the eternity of men and women's souls is on the line. I, I don't want you to stand before Christ someday and he'll say, did you pick up the sword? Did you use the staff to beat off those wolves? You're like, oh, no, but dude, I played a lot of Fortnite. Man, I want you to fight in the name of Jesus. Fight, please. Fight. You hear me? Many of you are. Many of you are. But I just want to say that like, and this is just kind of something personal for me, I just want to let you know how I've been praying personally. And I have been praying that God, I've been claiming that verse where God says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into his harvest. It's a command, it's a promise that if we appeal to the Lord of the harvest, he's gonna raise up workers to send out workers into his harvest. I just wanna let you know that I've been praying that. I would invite you all to pray that with me. But just know that here's here's what it means because I believe God is, going, is always going to answer prayers when we pray according to his word, according to his will. So I think God is going to begin to, to call. He is going to be, begin to burden hearts, especially of men, that want to give their lives to the work of the ministry, to proclaiming the word, and to making disciples, and to going to the nations. But here's the deal. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. And every hand needs to be on deck as we face this army of wolves and demons that are led by a dragon. Notice how these wolves are going to do this. End of verse 30. They will arise speaking twisted things. 
twisted things, twisted things. Oh, brothers and sisters, there are so many twisted things being spoken today. And it's always been this way, but it's like everything else. The propagation of the twisted things is happening at just breakneck speed. You can find it on podcasts. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on the internet. You can find it in bookstores, whatever. It's just all over the place. Twisted things. And this is why this year, again, it's just one little simple thing, and it's just a one-year thing. It's not over after this. We have to continue to do it over and over and over and in greater measure and in greater measure and in greater measure. But I'm going to call you again and again and again, whether you're a man or woman, young or old, to get into this book that you need to know the truth because there are many twisted things that are being spoken. They're not whole lies. They're half-truths. They're truth with just a little bit of deception sprinkled in or their truth, but not the whole truth. This is how the wolves, this is how the demons, this is how the dragon does his work. And he's done it like this from the beginning where even the serpent in the Garden of Eden began to attack the word of God. The first line out of the serpent's mouth in the whole story of redemption, did God really say? Did God really say? And Paul says, verse 31, he says, therefore, be alert, be alert. Back in verse 28, pay careful attention. Verse 31, be alert, wake up. Why is he saying that? Because even the Ephesian elders, even though they'd spent time with Paul, I mean, can you imagine hearing Paul? Paul rented a place in Ephesus called the, the Hall of Tyrannus. Like he, he, he rented like a lecture hall, and he lectured there every single day. Can you imagine hearing Paul speak every single day how awesome that would be? And he did that every single day and even still here to these men, many of them who would have heard him every single day for three years. He says, don't fall asleep. Wake up. Be alert. Guys, this is happening all over. Truth is being twisted. The very definition of manhood and womanhood is being twisted. The definition of justice and what that really means is being twisted. What it means to rightly obey God is being twisted. Are you awake? Are you alert? Are you living and breathing, eating the word of God? Paul says, be alert, remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Paul did it with intensity and he did it with sincerity. Admonish, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. 2 Thessalonians 3.15, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him. That's the same word here in the Greek for admonish. Admonish him as a brother. Admonish his beloved children. Admonish him as a brother. Admonishing somebody, it's the idea of speaking to somebody the way that you speak to family. Right? You know what I mean by that? I mean, sometimes, uh, I don't know, sometimes maybe you're in an intense, passionate conversation with a family member, you're admonishing each other. Keep a positive spin on it here, but you're admonishing one, one another, and all of a sudden the phone rings, hello? 
is you're speaking different to your family than maybe you are with the person that's calling on the phone, but this is how God calls us to talk to one another, to admonish one another, not in a disrespectful way, but in a way that is intense and yet at the same time sincere because he says he does it with tears. D.L. Moody, I've heard many stories of D.L. Moody when he would preach on hell. He wasn't, that he wouldn't be angry or frustrated or red-faced, but he'd be weeping for the souls that he was preaching to. And, and so these wolves that are being influenced by demons that are led by the dragon, they speak twisted things. And in order to fight this battle, as elders, as leaders, we have to admonish each other, but this goes for everybody, and again, we'll see this in just a second. And then verse 32, Paul says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, the word of his grace, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How is Paul going to leave them? He's not gonna see these, this group of people again with confidence, knowing that they're going to be able to, to stand against these wolves. He commends them to the word of God, and he calls it here the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And mark that word, the word of his grace, and you might want to underline that there, verse 32, to build you up. And as you do that, then flip over to Ephesians chapter four. Usually I just try to have you just stay in one passage, but if you got your Bibles, grab them and hang with me here this morning because I want you to see where I'm getting this from. Go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter four. Again, Paul here, in writing the book of Ephesians, context is always important. Paul is not just writing to the elders here. He's writing to the entire uh, church at Ephesus. This would have been several years after this time we just read about in Acts chapter 20, where he was speaking to them on the beach and telling them that he would not see them again. He is now writing the book of Ephesians from prison. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, not just the elders, not just the deacons, not just the pastor, but the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Then go over to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at some of the similar language, like I just quoted there, about the word of his grace, and then also this idea of building up, okay? In Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 11, it says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who's doing the ministry? Saints. Not just to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For, here's one time, the building up of the body of Christ. So the saints, that's, that's all of you, that's, all of, that's including me, it's all of us together are to be doing the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, of which we are a part. So we're building something up of which we are a part. We're a part of this body, and we're also to all play a role in building up this body to which we belong. For the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, till we all attain to it, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And this is not just head knowledge, this is experiential knowledge, that we would all talk about Jesus like we know him. That we wouldn't talk about him just like we read about him in a book. But that we would talk about him according to the truth, but like we have a relationship with him. You should talk about your wife different than you talk about mathematics. You should talk, if you don't, bro, 
We need to have another conversation. But it, you, you, should, you, know, you should talk about your husband, about your kids in a way that's different than the way you talk about just the, the, the latest headline or something you read in the sports edition of the paper. Does anybody even read the paper anymore? I don't think so. Or on the internet, whatever. But we're, we're to know until we all attain to the unity and the, the experiential knowledge of the Son of God, until we all attain to, listen, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're building up mature manhood, the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer, so he's stating the positive, that we be built up, we be mature, we be full. And then now to state the negative, so that we no longer be children. What are children like? Children are tossed to and fro. This means like spiritual children, spiritually immature people. The truth comes at them. The wolves come at them. The twisted speaking comes at them. And it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we just follow it. That's not how we're to be. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Listen, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes not just from the wolves, but from the demons and from the dragon. What are we to do? Verse 15. And again, I just want you to notice the parallels here between what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, and here in Ephesians. His message never changed. It's the same thing. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. Now that command right there, that's not just for elders. That's for you and me. Men, women, young, old. That's for all of us. We are to speak the truth in love to one another until we, here's another, we grow up. Another descriptive word, build up, fullness, mature, now grow up. Paul is giving us a recipe here for how to grow into maturity. So many Christians are confused as to how they grow. I give you that it is a battle, it is difficult, sometimes it feels like a fight, sometimes you feel like things are against you, sometimes you feel guilty, sometimes you feel condemned, sometimes you feel like you're just, you're never gonna grow, but it's not true. If you're walking in obedience to the word of God, you can change, you can grow, but you have a role in it as does everybody else. And it is to speak the truth in love that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now listen, verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now get this. When each part, that's you and I. So again, he's describing here the metaphors that we're, we're not just bride here, but we're, we're body. We're body. And each one of us is a different part. And we all get our directions from the head. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You play a role in causing me to grow and in causing everybody to grow. I play a role in helping you to grow. You each play a role in helping each other to grow. And the implication here is really, really important 
and, and you've heard me say this before, but brothers and sisters, if you come to Mercy Hill, you call Mercy Hill home, okay? You do not get to choose whether or not you influence the culture of this church. It's just not, it's, it's not an option. You are either influencing the culture and the health and the maturity of this church in a positive way, or you are influencing it in a negative way. And a lot of it comes down to whether or not you know the word of God, whether or not you are firm, mature in the gospel of Christ, and whether or not you are speaking the truth in love. And again, this is now the means, so going back to what I said at the beginning, that the church belongs to God, it is his. It was purchased with the blood of his own. That how does he wanna care for this bride? How does he wanna care for his body? How does he wanna care for his family? He's doing his part, I promise you. He's always faithful. He'll make a way when we can't make a way. The question is, are we being faithful? Are we doing our part to speak the truth in love? Let me show you very quickly, Paul's gonna unpack that idea of speaking the truth in love. Jump down, chapter four to verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth as it is in Jesus. So this truth isn't just some sort of you know, random truth. It's, it's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. Verse 25, therefore have put away... Is that me? You good? Okay. Therefore, having put away falsehood, am I on? Yeah, okay. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, so everybody in the church is your neighbor, even those outside the church. And then verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for, here it is again, building up, building up, as fits the occasion, but now he says this, that it may give grace to those who hear. Here's what I wanna point out real quickly, is that speaking the truth in love requires speaking the truth as it is in Jesus. It means speaking the truth to one another. Each one of us plays a role in that, but as we do that, as we speak the truth in love, it imparts grace to one another. The thing that you need in order to live victoriously is a power from outside of yourself to overcome and that power is found in Christ. Now there's a sense in which, yes, it's within you. He lives within you. But you need grace. You need what is not naturally yours. You need a, grace is a gift. It's something that is given. And this grace comes when we speak the truth and love to one another, when we let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as is good for building others up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Think about your conversations even just this morning as you came in here, or maybe even on the way to church, or last night. Were you imparting grace with your words? Were you speaking the truth in love? Were you building that person up in Christ? Were you reminding them of all that Christ has done? Were you reminding them of the good news as it is in Jesus? One of the authenticating factors of of truth and grace, because there's a lot of counterfeit grace that's being taught today, and there's a lot of, of counterfeit truth, which really isn't truth, it's just lies. But those two things qualify each other, that when we speak the truth, it imparts grace to people's lives. It gives them strength to overcome. And grace and truth are not in opposition to each other. 
It's not a truth or grace thing. It's not a, do I speak the truth? Do I sometimes say hard things because somebody's living in disobedience? Or do I just be gracious with them? I speak the truth in love, knowing that that's what they need to impart that grace to them. See, what, what, grace in the Bible, the biblical definition of grace, grace is not opposed to truth. Grace flows from truth. Grace is not opposed to truth. Grace flows from truth. And there is so much counterfeit grace today. And let me say this very practically, is that we tend to live in a very legalistic culture. And I, and I talked about this last week. I, I harp on this a lot because it's the context in which, we, in which we live. But one of the great temptations that I see many uh, people, especially young people, falling into is you come out of a legalistic culture where it was all about rules and you jump to a, a ditch on the other side of the road that isn't called legalism, that's this ditch, but the other ditch is called licentiousness or license. And you think that grace is just an opportunity for you to live however you want, but it's a grace that is divorced from truth. It is a counterfeit grace. The grace that the Bible speaks of, the authenticating uh, mark of biblical grace, is truth. Is that we don't just say, well, God is love, and so, you know, homosexuality is okay. It's not according to truth. We don't just say that, oh yeah, it's, it's no big deal, just go ahead and you know, live with your boyfriend, live with your girlfriend before you get married, cohabitate, it's no big deal. No, that, that's, not, that's not grace, that's not according to truth. It's like, remember, I don't know when they started doing this. I feel like it wasn't around forever, maybe in some of the older 20s, but some of the, I remember like, I don't know how old I was, but I remember all of a sudden when they came out with these new $20 bills, I think higher, and you'd pay with maybe a 20 or a bigger bill, and they'd all hold it up to the light. Do you remember that? Ever had anybody do that? I think there's like a little strip or something in there that is an authenticating factor of whether or not that is a real legitimate $20 bill. The authenticating factor of whether or not something is biblical grace is, is it according to truth? Is it according to truth? And brothers and sisters, we need, to, we need to get a grasp on this. And here's the deal, here's the deal. It's your responsibility to take this seriously. It's your responsibility to engage in being a vital member of the body of Christ. We, we've... Uh, we fought really hard as leadership at Mercy Hill to try to do our best to keep things as simple as we can. Um, may seem like there's a lot, maybe you don't think it seems like there's a lot. If you don't think it, it seems like there's a lot going on, that's, that, that, that's good, because here's what we want you to do. We want you to come here on Sunday mornings, and we want you to sing. We want you to sing the truth. We want you to hear the truth. We want you to believe the truth. We wanna proclaim the truth. And then we want you to get together in little groups we call small churches. And if you have anybody there that can play guitar or sing, then we want you to do the same thing. We want you to sing. We want you to get together and discuss the truth and speak the truth in love to one another. We want you to get into maybe even smaller groups, smaller than that, with just men with men and just women with women. And we want you to disciple one another in the way that Jesus did 
sharing his lives with people and getting together and really getting down. And as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So we want you to get together in this big circle. We want you to get together in these smaller circles. And then we want you to get together in some real small circles. But in everything, single, no matter what circle we're in, we want you to be speaking the truth in love that it may impart grace to the hearers, that we may all help each other to ward off the army of, of wolves and demons that are led by the dragon. And I just want to lay before you this morning that I believe that there is no higher calling in all of creation than that God has called us to be a part of his church, of his bride, of his body, of his family. Worship team, you can come up, and we're going to begin to close. Ephesians chapter 3, again, I'm kind of jumping all around here. I've got to pick and choose what I speak on in Ephesians. But Paul says, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery which was hidden for ages in God. Now, what's he talking about? What is this mystery that was hidden for ages in God who created all things? Verse 10. So that now, through the church, through you and I, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. I said earlier, Ephesians talks a lot about the heavenly places. Let me just, I don't know if you're understanding what that means. Let me try to unpack it quickly. Is that, guys, there's a much bigger battle going on than just the battle here between flesh and blood and just on the horizontal level. But that there's a battle in the heavenly realms that is massive. And I, I, when I say battle, I don't just mean like, it's really just a fight between light and darkness because just like when you turn on the lights, the darkness flees. That's how it is. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. The darkness doesn't have a chance. But God has purposed to glorify his name by allowing this darkness to exist in some ways. And he is actually glorifying his name through the church to the darkness. That through your life, and when we come together to worship and when we speak the truth in love to one another, no matter what the setting is, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or it's in a small church or if it's just getting together one-on-one -on -one or you're having coffee with somebody or whatever, God has purposed to glorify his name through the church to the angels and demons. That's what he means in verse 10 when he says the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's glorifying his name to these spirit beings through you and I. I would venture to guess that most of us haven't thought much about that this past week. I would venture to guess that most of us haven't thought about how, because we feel like we're just off by ourselves and our obedience or our disobedience, it really doesn't matter. It's no big deal. 
But brothers and sisters, it is. Because God wants to glorify his name through us. Let's pray. Father, I just...